Hey, so uh, this is Dana. Uh, we're here with Al, Yanni, and Duncan. And we're going to be doing a quick uh, con report from Origins and some brief announcements. So this should actually go up fairly quickly. So if anybody has anything they want to announce that's relevant like this week, feel free. Otherwise, I will tell you about I went to a con. It was called Origins. It's in Columbus, Ohio. It is at the convention center there, and it is a wonderful con. Take Gen Con and make it like a quarter as big and a quarter as expensive. <laughs> and uh, Origins is that thing. Also very drivable from most places. It's about six hours from anywhere you want to live. <laughs> Extra on the West Coast. Um, Are you saying people that want to live on the West Coast? I am. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> someone who may at some point live on the West Coast. <laughs> oh, gosh. And then the closest big gaming convention will be PAX Prime. And then I'll have to decide whether or not I want to go to PAX Prime. Don't. Don't, don't go to PAX. No, I don't really want to go to PAX. Yeah. Anyway, basically, here's, here's the situation. So I drove out... Uh, Five and a half hours in the car with no air conditioning, because my air conditioning unit exploded all like over right the inside of my apartment. No, a few weeks before. And you didn't get it fixed. Why? Because it's like a thousand dollars, and I have better things to spend that money on. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> but it was it was it was fine. I yeah. Anyway, I was staying with uh, my, my little sister Jen, and also Joe, who is an occasional. Uh, uh, Guest on the APs for the Jankcast, so you may or may not have heard his voice before. You've probably heard it. You probably listened to the Jankcast if you listen to us. Anyway, I had an opportunity to run Souls of Steel twice. And it was really nice because, A, everyone was really enthusiastic. I played it with four people, and then it was six because people were really passionate and wanted to get into the game, which was awesome. Um, the feedback that I got, and I got some really good feedback. The first time I played it was with like four game designers, which is the other great thing about nice. going to or yeah, yeah, it's the other great thing about going to Origins. At at Forge, I ran it for game designers and podcasters. At Origins, I ran it for game designers. It was pretty good. So and con organizers. So these were these were people who knew what they were talking about and uh, had a really great time. The feedback that we got was a lot less. I'm not sure this works or this whole mechanic needs work. Blah blah blah. It was like oh, little tweak here, little tweak here, little tweak here. And L, I will run run over that stuff with you the next time we actually can sit down and yeah. go over it. I, 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 it's going to happen. I'm not worried about it. So, um, but that was great. I also got a chance to run Siren because my brain was so... I, I ran a double session on Thursday and my brain was so burned out because I got in late and was up late and then didn't sleep very much. I was like, I'm not going to run this game again. And that was fun, too. Uh, Siren is a great con game. Like, if you... First of all, Meg Baker's a genius. Second of all, uh, Siren is a great con game. If you're going doing a one shot of something, that's that's really got to be one of my go tos now because really it's zero prep. It takes like it, the setup is a, is is long but easy to understand, uh, easy to explain, and the actual gameplay it takes almost nothing to understand. Like you just have to read the things on one sheet and you're basically done. You've all played it, right? That was the one we skipped <laughs> for the train, right? Yeah, okay. you went there. I know I wasn't there. Thank you for rubbing that in. <laughs> well, there's a million games we've played before you got here. You haven't played yeah. Unmighty Thieves yet, either, yeah. have you? I don't even know what that's there. about. Being a badass every day. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> also every night. Yes. Which which actually reminds me that a very similar like style of genre, um, um, Swords Without Master, is a new game that's really hot that we should probably take a look at at some point. Mm-hmm. I have the coffee cup. Oh, yeah, you do. Trace had the game. <laughs> no. <laughs> I haven't got that far yet. Coffee's more important. You're saving up box tops. Is it? Is it? Is it not out in like final version yet? Or are we? I don't know. Is that okay? Did you kickstart it or? Nope. Okay. No. No. Um, how did you get a coffee cup? 
My mom's awesome. Yeah, okay. That's, that's, that's really good. <laughs> we cannot possibly argue with that statement. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, let's see. So, I played some tabletop games. Um, I played Heroin. Heroin is such a great game. Heroin is a, it's, it's a cute little game with a really pretty book. It simulates, like, there's, there's a movie genre, like Labyrinth is one of the movies in the genre, where a, a girl has some sort of problems in her regular life at home, some sort of stress in her regular life at home. And so she goes into this magical world and meets these companions who help her, like, overcome obstacles and become a stronger person, and then she takes that back and improves her life. I'm well, still having trouble figuring out if this is about being a strong female character or being on drugs. <laughs> I, I think I think Hero, it's drugs. Heroine is almost certainly the yeah. okay. I don't strong <laughs> female protagonist. Heroine is um, could also ha- involve a strong female protagonist, but uh, maybe yeah, mules women don't as do well. <laughs> women don't do drugs. Oh. Oh, only men do drugs. I see. <laughs> yeah. Well, now I know. <laughs> But anyway, uh, it was a, was a, it's a, it's a really cute, it's a, it's a story game. It's very cute. There's a, there's a, there's some neat mechanics where you're basically just passing tokens around that represent your ability to contribute to the story, um, and help. Um, there's one person who is the heroine, um, and that role never changes. There's another person who's the narrator and everyone else are the companions. Those roles can actually switch around, which is really neat. But we created the, the most, um, and people create the most outlandish companions because it's kind of this magical fairy tale land. I mean, we had a we had a hanged man crossroads guardian. We had a talking sword. We had a feisty little pixie. We had a, a, a talking sock monkey, and it was it was epic. Yeah, um, Jen Jen ran that one. It was a ton of fun. I recommend picking up heroin heroin heroin. If you, um, I wasn't calling you on your pronunciation. That's fine. I just, I'm probably, I just thought it was a good just, pun. I'm, I'm pu- probably pushing too far into the hero origin uh, well, no, to no, differentiate it. So we don't um, confuse our so we don't confuse our uh, our listeners. I will say heroine from now on. Not a oh, well really? playing game involving uh, <laughs> shooting up. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you can hear the slappy as I like. I miss my friends my from the other universe. <laughs> Um, the next thing that, uh, the other, the other thing that I played that I really wanted to play was Dream Askew, which is Avery McDowell knows, um, relatively new, I guess within the last year or two, GMless Apocalypse World Hack. It is as good as everyone says it is. It is a great game. It is, it is neat. I'd like to see it played on a campaign. Now, to kind of brief you on this, because I think, I don't know how much we've talked about Dream Askew. So Dream Askew is set during the apocalypse, it's sort of during a rolling apocalypse, and you are play members of a queer commune or queer community that's being sort of hit hard by the apocalypse. You sort of, maybe or you've isolated yourself from the society, you've been ostracized from the rest of society, and things are collapsing around you, and it's just sort of your survival. And they've taken a lot of the original apocalypse world books and, like, combined them. So the Savvy Head and the Angel are combined into a single playbook. The Stitcher. Etc, etc, etc. The, the, the uh, Gunlugger and the... Uh, the, the chopper, basically, you know. Um, anyway, so the mechanic basically is uh, every time you make, every time you do something that would be a 10 plus result, and for different playbooks, different things count. There's certain things that are easier for some playbooks to do than others. So um, you have to pay a token, and, and anytime you do something that would be like a weak move, something that exposes your you to, to harm or to, to retribution or this and the other thing, a six minus type result, an MC type hard move result, you get a token. So you have to, like, put yourself in a position, a bad position, to be able to do awesome things later. 
And that economy worked really well because people were constantly making it so everyone wanted to have a stack of like two or three tokens in front of them just in case. So people were constantly doing weak moves so they could do strong moves. It's really cool. The other cool thing about it is just like um, Jackson Tegu's uh, Silver and White, which is the first game I saw, although it's been in beta forever and may never be released, that has um, that has this type of thing where different people at the table have different um, pieces of the world that they get to narrate, right? So um, one uh, one person... Uh, narrates the collective. One person narrates the psychic maelstrom. One person narrates the technological world. One person narrates this and the other thing. And you have complete, and actually says the things, the types of things that you have access to there in terms of what you can say. And it also says on that which other playbooks you're aimed at. So for instance, the psychic maelstrom is obviously aimed at the iris, who is the brainer slash hocus of the up, up playbook, right? And so it says on there, you know, this is the playbook that you most aim at, basically. And, uh, and so it's a good way to kind of mess with other people. It's like, oh, you can mess with this person really easy because they're, they're up in your wheelhouse or you're up in their, up in their business or whatever. Anyway, probably too much on that game. It was a ton of fun. Um, also got a chance to, um, play a game by Cat Jones called How to Be Human. How to Be Human is a tabletop game. It's a story game that's very much based on being human, both the British and American. You know, you have a werewolf, a vampire, and a ghost living in a house. You know, the idea is you all want to be human for one reason or another, and you have to figure out why that is, But you all, and you have these relationships, but you also, it's easier, using your monstrous qualities You makes it easier to do things. So it's this, this battle for basically for your humanity. And the idea is that you all have reasons to keep the other ones from going nuts and, you know, losing their humanity. And so, you know, I don't know how to put it. it. It creates these weird relationships, and it's very much, like, you're really, like, your roommates, it's just like every uncomfortable roommate situation you ever had in college, right? <laughs> um, neat, neat, neat game. There's also a LARP version, which I also played. Now, the LARP version... Um, so, I've, I've talked about LARP at um, Forge. Um, I played a Nordic LARP called The Tribunal, which was excellent and really got me into LARP. So, um, these are not like buffer LARP, like running around with foam swords. They're not vampire LARP. People, you know, sitting around in dark clothing and black nail polish and lipstick brooding at each other. This is, you know, <laughs> immersive, actor stance, small group, intimate, very emotional, very scripted. You know, you here's your one experience that you're going to have. It's not very freeform, even though the American version is called American Freeform. But um, the, the How to Be Human LARP is actually more of an improv theater exercise. It's, it's more of a skit type situation. And, you know, as somebody who did theater, it really appealed to me. It was a lot of fun. You actually break into two houses so that when people in one house can play extras in the other. So you actually have two sort of the American and the British storyline going on at the same time, I guess. <laughs> um, and that was that was really neat. Um, that's, that's sort of in early stages. It needs some polish, but it was still a ton of fun, and everyone had a really good time. Part of it was that we had some amazing players. What was that called again? How to Be Human. Ah. I don't know how close this is to getting any sort of published... You know, what I did play that's uh, that's either published or much closer to completion is Jason Morningstar's The Climb. So The Climb is a very intimate American freeform LARP. Uh, American freeform differs from Nordic LARP, and then American freeform has some tabletop gaming aspects. There tends to be a little more meta game. You're not completely immersed in your character. Um, it's 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 a it's a it's a very it's a very sort of like literary theory type distinction as opposed to like a real distinction. Like if you like one, you'll probably like the other. 
it's climbers for six players. Your mountain climbers. You all give them a specific personality. You get to pick one of six characters. Like they're they're pregens basically, um, and you're illegally scaling a mountain, and it's like one that's never been scaled before. And you're all going to be rich if you get to the summit, you know. But the thing is, you're all at camp three, and everyone's kind of altitude sick, and all the rest of this stuff, and it's dark and it's cold, and the weather's turning bad. And three of you are going to go on to camp four, and two of the two of those people are going to go on to the summit. And it's this very political, like who's going with who, who's sleeping with whose wife, this and that and the other thing. It's 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 a neat experience. I played the doctor, um, and uh, uh, it was it was very powerful. Like we actually cheered when we heard that that because the people that go to the top don't always make it. Mm-hmm. And once once well, I won't give it away. But there's a point at which people leave to go to the other thing, and it becomes more of a radio play. But you still get a walkie-talkie at that point. And you're talking to them. When they announced mm-hmm. that they reached the summit, we cheered. We literally cheered. Like it, it was it was genuine. It wasn't like yo, my character would cheer now. It's mm-hmm. like. Yeah. We also played with the lights mostly off and with flashlights and with a sat, like, like a, uh, a recording of like gusts, we had wind, gusty wind blowing in the background. So it was very, it was, it was a really neat experience. Um, almost played Urban Shadows, which is Andrew Medeiros' new game. This is going to be big. It, it, uh, Urban Shadows was going to be big. It's being kickstarted. By the time this goes up, the Kickstarter may be over. It's ending soon. It is like grown up Monster Hearts. It's inspired by Dresden Files. It's urban. It's if you wanted to play an urban fantasy apocalypse world hack that isn't Monster Hearts, like with adults and adult problems, this is the game, and it's good. Um, I what well, you can you can look it up. I won't go into too much. I mean, it's going to be available basically for purchase soon. So uh, it's it's very well written. It's we we did character creation for it before people came over. And we had a party instead, but. Um, this was in the hotel room uh, one night, uh, but but on Friday night I think it was. But like, like character creation was compelling. Like, you know, for an apocalypse world game, like this is good stuff. Check it out. Urban Shadows by Andrew Medeiros. We also I also got a an advanced copy of Brianna Sheldon's uh, The Clash. So um, that's a a story game about uh, similar to like your your Kingdom or your Microscope, I think. But I haven't played it. Like I have to. I, I want to see how it plays. Um, and that's, this is a game about basically two factions, you know, the Capulets and the Montagues, the Bugs and the Crips, who are constantly, you sort of in a struggle with each other, and the smaller struggles and interpersonal relationships that happen as a result of that interaction. It's a really neat concept, like I said, I, I didn't get a chance to play it, but I would like to check it out, so if that's a thing that we want to try sometime, I would love to play test it. Let's see, we're almost done here, I promise. <laughs> um, the last thing is on Saturday night. Um, I thought we were going to go out clubbing, and so I dolled myself up, and uh, we ended up going back to the, the, the convention center and gaming some more, which was okay. <laughs> I was a little overdressed. Um, but uh, I did end up in the... I did end up going out drinking with, um, with, with Andrew and Rihanna and Jen <laughs> later on that night, and we all got very drunk. And then we went back to the hotel and ended up running into a bunch of... A bunch of I won't drop names, but a bunch of, of relatively important people in the sort of small press community, uh, people involved with uh, Paizo and, and, and Margaret Weiss Productions and some other things, and there was just this really interesting conversation about like the future of gaming. Like basically, they were all hailing the fact that Nordic LARP was a big game changer, and they think the next big thing is going to come out of like India or Africa or China because people are playing games there and we don't know what they're doing because they're doing it in another language <laughs> halfway across the world, which I thought was really right. neat. Like that, that they're. That people at some of these companies, you know, that we think, oh, oh, 
does Margaret Weiss Productions, does Evil Hat, do Paizo, really, do they have their ear to the ground, or are they still stuck in the old-fashioned RPG world? And they're not. They know what's happening. But they also, if they do something that's a little more tratty, it's because that's what sells to their customer base, you know what I mean? But they're, they're, they're in it. They're, they, they understand what's going on. And it was really neat to see that. It, it actually, like, gave me a lot of, A, like, it was fascinating to listen to them talk, but B, it gave me a lot of, like, hope for the future of, of gaming and innovation in gaming. Which I think is going to be really great. Um, so that's my rambling rant about uh, Origins. I apologize for the length. TLDR, <laughs> right? Um, anyone have any questions about any of that stuff? On the topic of like traditional gaming, adding or, or having their ear to the ground on indie game stuff, has anybody besides me been paying attention to D and D Next as it slowly, slowly rolls out? I want you to talk about that, because I actually haven't... Just D&D okay. now, right? Yes, it is just D&D. Oh, they, they stripped it of the next? They did, mm-hmm. in fact. I heard oh that. They, in fact, stripped what it of, dungeon, of the Ungeons and Dragons. No, no, it's still Dungeons and Dragons. There's no advance, there's no addition. I always heard... No... Uh, all I've seen is just D&D, and yeah. they just compressed the, the logo. Okay. That's all I've seen. I've yet to see anything that says Dungeons and Dragons. Oh. Well... But, I'm sure that's Anyways, what it still stands for. They've they've been spoiling the uh, character sheets from the starter set uh, on online over the past couple of days, and something that's really interesting that's on them is there is not a spot for your deity. I think there's still a spot for your alignment, but there are boxes for your characters' like goals and for their uh, their I think it's fears and bonds. I'm so and happy. Things like that. So. I think it's like four boxes that are things that look like they were pulled because they were looking at stuff like Dungeon World and indie games. Like, you know, it, it was almost like the character creation from Kingdom, where, because mm-hmm. I was just looking over that, where they've got like, Literally. what's your dream? Yeah. What do you, isn't it, isn't what, it also a trifold down? Things like that. Um, I, these these character sheets have just been front and back. Okay. But, uh, I, I saw a picture. I think it was I, a D&D Next. They had a big contest for, like, design the coolest character sheet. I think there's going to be a lot of character sheets floating around. Mm. Fair enough. I, I saw one that was basically... At first, um, I saw it on G Plus or Facebook, I think. And at first, I thought it was an Apocalypse World hack. Because it had, like, <laughs> the stat blocks. And, like, it was a mm-hmm. trifold and had the stuff all over the place. And then I was like, oh, no, it's D&D. Huh. Huh. <laughs> yeah, but... So while everything is still very squarely somewhere between three, five, and fourth uh, th- that I've seen so far, they've been they have definitely added some things that show that clearly they've been paying attention to like indie games and looking at all right, what can we bring over here that's not going to cause people to run screaming, but will still be an interesting addition. You suddenly made so. me excited to play this game, and since Blake's next campaign is probably going to be running fifth, you know. Yeah. That, that, that was good, it's, I guess. It, it seems promising, so... I, you know, it's it's interesting to me, too, like... Because there's this, this idea that, like, the D&D oldsters... It, there's a certain amount of, like... Somebody described it as cargo cult design, where it's like, oh, well, if we're rolling D20s and we roll this for damage and we have AC, then it's a D&D, right? And then that's the game I want to play. <laughs> right. The challenge of building a game with modern... Not even indie, but modern design sensibilities around that. And it seems like they've really taken that challenge oh. on. Another thing that mm. they that they spoiled is uh there was a monster it was like some ogre thing it's been around for ages I forget what it's called but it had a power that if it hit you it, it did some damage and you had to tell it a secret that was mm. actually in the monster stat block was it learns a secret about you that's 
awesome. So, I thought it was... It, it was right there next to, like, an ooze that split in half if it got hit by lightning damage. But, <laughs> so... Oh, they, man. There could be some pretty cool things in store. I was actually just thinking last night about paranoia. So I was kind of idly thinking, oh, well, if we don't have enough people to run scuff, maybe I'll run paranoia. But I knew <laughs> there's no way I was actually going to be able to put an adventure together in time. Uh, but I was thinking about the fact that most trad games, success and failure is binary. Um, you roll a d20 and you either succeed or you fail. There's never a a partial success. Um, and so I was just kind of idly thinking in my head about ways to make um, paranoia. Have... Well, really, any trad game, any d20 game, have you know a spectrum. You know, if you're mm-hmm. if you're two or three above or below your number, then it's a partial hit. Um, Actually, um, D&D is that way somewhat. Um, like, I, I know one easy example is knowledge checks. In 3rd edition, they had tables. Right. It's like, mm. oh, um, roll knowledge nature on bears. And at DC 10, you know, bears live in caves. And at DC 15, you know, bears have a diet consisting of mostly fish and berries. And then at DC 30, you know that they have, like, secret societies and crap like that. Um, Discovered fire. <laughs> like, but, but the point is, it, it is scaled. And, like, a lot of the monster entries did have that. Um, that said, you can still totally run it that way. Like, <laughs> my Ladies Pathfinder game that I run on Thursdays, I use partial successes all the time. Like... Most of the time, like, an easy example is um, if there is something hidden in a room that I might want them to spot. And I kind of want them to spot it, you know? I, I But I'm, like, it, it. You usually, if it's important to the story, I will just give it to them. Like, I'm not going to be like, oh, you missed an important clue, sorry. Yes, you shouldn't have rolled twos. But, like, um, with, uh, if it's something that's kind of like, well, it could be really helpful if they find it, you know. I have them roll, and if one, and if someone gets high enough, and the high enough is a completely arbitrary number, it is. Do I like that number? Um, <laughs> of course, and, that's how you do it. Too even. If, if, <laughs> if, if I like the number, then yeah, they find it. And a lot of times, in those situations, even if they don't, you know, if I'm looking for something in the mid twenties and they roll a bunch of fifteens, I'll usually give them something. It just it kind of a snippet mm-hmm. of like. Something feels off about this to you. Like you're not, you can't quite put your finger on it, but you swear that she's just not telling the truth. You're not sure about what. Whereas maybe if they had gotten it, you know, it's oh yeah, she's, she's lying, lying, and you can see she's looking over in the corner and where she clearly has something hidden or whatever. Um, so my my point is my long long winded point is that <laughs> you can totally have very easily um, partial success, successes. It just requires a DM who is not constrained to the book. Um. <laughs> That's basically what I was saying. Yeah. Is you know how what would be a good way to do this? Um, What's well, my point? Because most you most games, really... but most games don't have it built in. And the other, like yeah. a, a, table, actually... a table for knowledge things isn't quite the same. Like it's just the knowledge well, rules. So there's two. There's actually two things. One is the a lesser result, which is what you're talking about. Well, the other is success with complications, mm-hmm. which is sometimes even more fun. Like, it will give you what you want, but then something else bad happens. I do that one sometimes, too. I know. It's fun. <laughs> it's real fun. It's, it's a great DM technique, but 4th edition actually did this. People forget because no one played 4th, but, like, 4th edition had skill challenges. You had certain numbers of success and failures, and they always said, like, 
at, at this many successes, you just succeed at everything you ever wanted, you know, and win a million dollars. At these at this range of successes, you get some of what you want, but there's complications. Um, you know, and, 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 and that was actually a me- mechanism that was built in. The other thing 4th edition does, if you're doing it, is they have the DC ranges. So you can always say, oh, on a, on, if, you, if you crack the easy DC, you get this. If you crack a medium DC, you get a mixed result. On a hard DC, you get... I'm, I'm not saying it's completely absent, but mm-hmm. when you compare it to, like, AW or any AW hack... Or every, Fate has actually worked this in. Every because Fate's... role has a, a miss, a strong hit, and a soft hit. Yep. Fate, um, Fate's not a tri-game, though. No, it's not. It's hybrid, but the new Fate, Fate, FAE and Fate Core, have both adopted... They actually lifted from Apocalypse World. They made it more explicit that, it, that there was a mix, there were mixed results in the middle of the spectrum when you get just about hitting. Well, you know, another and a triad system that actually does this really well is Edge of the Empire. Actually, I just remembered... <laughs> is Edge of the Empire really trad, no. or is it more like Fate? It's no. tragedy. Honestly, I say it's very tragic. Really? Okay. I have I have a min max fucking character that crits a bazillion times every time she sets something on fire. Like, <laughs> not even joking. You can min max an apocalypse world. That doesn't mean it's trad. But, but it's a trad um, style min maxing. It, it, it's number crunching. It's totally a trad game. It's a trad game with good story elements, and Joanna does a wonderful job running it mm-hmm. in the sense that it, in. It's not a trad game the way she runs it, but I think I think it's still a trad game. You I know think what? inherently it is. Is more uh, it's closer to traditional role, tabletop role playing like D anD D than say um, Apocalypse World, but it is light years closer to Apocalypse World than either of the previous two Star Wars editions were. You also have okay, to ask yourself enough. like, is Burning Wheel a tried game? Well, Burning Wheel is no; it's an indie game. It's a really crunchy indie yeah. game, which allows a lot of min maxing. Like, Honestly, to me, I would I would consider it a tried game. Burning Wheel. Um. Yeah. Burning Wheel. Um, I think it's a well-written and story-driven trad game. I still think it's a trad game. Okay. I mean, well, when I say trad game, I'm not insulting it. No. I play and enjoy a lot of trad yeah. games. I've run a lot of trad it, games. It, it is funny because it just shows that the, the definitions people use for these things are not very well, like, well-defined. Ain't that the way of things? Yeah. Always. But you know what? We were a big tent here at our podcast, Magic Missile. So, we're not going to argue over this. <laughs> we can see the differences between all these things. Um, and that's the important thing. And it looks like D&D is going to be rolling into the, hopefully, the Edge of the Empire, Burning Wheel, Fate, realm of well-designed games with sort of trad roots, at the very least. We shall see. Knock on wood. I'll play it. I've played, I've yeah. played every edition of D&D aside from a D&D you gotta play it though. I mean, like, you gotta try it once. Yeah. You, know, you call I, yourself I, a role player. You don't play I, the newest edition of D anD D. I really liked Fourth. I, I think Fourth was my favorite since D anD D. Yeah. Um, fourth was good. We've talked about Fourth enough on this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was. Go- oh, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, I was gonna suggest yeah. stopping talking and starting playing. Well, I have a couple yeah, of announcements to make. Yeah. So, I have a couple of announcements to make. First, um, I was a guest on the Giant Cast a little while ago. If you haven't listened to that episode, go back and listen to it. Um, a couple of us were guests on a very special episode of The Walking Eye, which we will simulcast between our two podcasts that should be coming out in a week or two. <laughs> so stay tuned for that. This is a big event. We're, we're going to tackle some, some, some real, like, deep issues in the indie gaming community. Um, some things that are really important right now. So, uh, so stay tuned for that. All right, well, thank you for listening. This has been the Origin Special Report with iPodcast Magic Missile. Signing off.